right, well, we've been working our way through a study titled Overcoming Overload, which is the name of a book by Stephen Mary Farrar, and I thought the book had such a great central theme that I wanted to kind of take it and build off of that theme. So kind of the, the broad outline of what we're talking about is based upon this book by Steve and Mary Farrar. And I've take, kind of taken their outline and I've kind of made it my own. And so most of what you have here comes from um, my preparation, uh, but we're using kind of the template that Steve and Mary Farrar give us in their book. And, and we've said every week that, that people in our culture today feel stressed and overwhelmed by life. And there are three reasons that, that, at least three reasons, that people feel overloaded and overwhelmed by life. First is the pressures of life. We, we all deal with different pressure. Pressure to provide for our family. Um, you know, pressure to, um, to, to be successful. All, there are all sorts of pressures out there. Pressures to raise your children, right? Pressures to do good in, on, on your job, uh, we all have these these pressures, and, and those pressures can weigh you down and, and, and make you feel overloaded and overwhelmed. Also, we talked about the pain of life, that life hurts. We live in a world that's been cursed by sin, and, and it's fallen. There's fallen people. There are fallen people all around us, and guess what? We're fallen too. And so when you're around sinners, and you're a sinner, and... Uh, and, and you live in a world that's been cursed by sin, hard things are going to happen. That's one of the realities of the fall. And so we all experience pain at different times, at different degrees, different levels, different types. But the pain of life can cause us to feel uh, absolutely overwhelmed. But also we talked about the pace of life. And this is a big one in our culture today. Life moves so fast. You've got technology and and people are more mobile than they've ever been before in terms of commuting to work or to church or to play or whatever's going on. And because we're so mobile and because uh, we're so connected technologically and because there's so much going on, uh, so much pressure to be involved in so many different things, life just goes at warp speed. Life goes so fast and that, that pace of life can just really get the best of us and help us to feel uh, or causes to feel overwhelmed by life. And so that's the reality. A lot of families are living overwhelmed. They're, they're, they're overloaded by life. And so the question becomes, well, what's the solution? And we've been working our way through the solutions. There are seven solutions. Uh, you need a Savior. You need a Sabbath. You need a sanctuary. You need sustenance. You need supplication. You need to simplify. You need a sovereign. So when we said you need a Savior... Uh, you need a Savior to give you hope. You need a Savior to, to, to find contentment in and joy and peace and fulfillment in. So when you have a Savior, you know that your sins are forgiven. You, you know you have a relationship with God. You know that heaven's in your future. So life is not going to, to overwhelm you because you know you have a rock named Jesus. But you also need a Sabbath. God designed for us to need rest. And he, he gave us a command that that forces us, if we obey it, to build rest into the rhythm of our lives. And that's how he set it up for us to live. And if we don't have that pause, that Sabbath time, that time to, to stop, stop the busyness, to focus upon God, then, then we, will, we will feel um, just really 
weighed down and exhausted by life. So you need a Sabbath. You need a sanctuary. Uh, we talked about Jason Ford taught on that night. We need a place to get away, a time to spend time with God, a, a, a place that's quiet and private, a place that you can call your own, a place where you meet with the Lord. And then we said last week that you need sustenance. And we talked about the Word of God, the nourishment of the Word of God. You need the Word of God to give you what you need to make good decisions and live a a life that glorifies God in the midst of all of the craziness that we live in. And so we talked about the importance of the Word of God, and I tried to give you some very practical handles last week as to how you can saturate yourself with Scripture. But tonight, we're going to talk about supplication. You need supplication, and supplication is a big word that simply means prayer. It speaks of asking God for things. That's what the word supplication means. Entails. And the reason uh, they use the word supplication is because it starts with an S and and lines up with all other words. All right? So you need supplication. You need prayer. And if you look there, prayer at its essence is communication and communion with God. Communication and communion with God. That's what prayer is. It's just that simple. You talk to God. You spend time with God through the avenue that God has given us, the avenue of prayer. And Matthew 27, 51 speaks of the veil being torn in two. If you weren't here Sunday night, I preached about the veil being torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And that signified that now sinners who are forgiven by the blood of Christ have access to God. They can come into his presence anytime they want and stay as long as they want. And that certainly speaks of our prayer lives. And so... Because the veil has been torn in two, uh, we can come into God's presence and talk to Him and spend time with Him any time that we want to. And so prayer is communication and communion with God. Now here's what I want to do tonight. I want to talk for a few moments about the blessings of prayer. And then again, I want to get real practical and talk about the actual practice of prayer. How you can build supplication, how you can build prayer into uh, your day in, day out living, uh, which will help you with the, the pressures and the pain and the pace of life. So let's begin by talking about the blessings of prayer. The blessings of prayer. And I have uh, five things there that help us understand why prayer is such a blessing. And as we look at these blessings, it's going to help us understand why we need to pray and how it's so uh, uh, applicable to all of our lives. First of all, prayer allows us to blow off steam and enjoy peace. Prayer allows us to blow off steam and enjoy peace. That's one of the reasons God gave us prayer, to blow off steam. One of the, one of the, the favorite, my favorite meals that my mom made when I was growing up was corned beef. And I never forget, she made corned beef and cabbage, love it, and she made it in a pressure cooker. Does anybody in here use a pressure cooker anymore? A lot of you. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, pressure cooker, and you know how the pressure cooker works to, 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 to cook things quickly, and it has a little release valve to let off steam. Well, prayer is our release valve to let off the, the pressure that builds up in our life. And if we don't let off steam, if we don't let off pressure, eventually we're going to explode, right? And so prayer is that release valve. Now, Before we talk about how that works, we need to talk about some unhelpful, unbiblical ways to blow off steam. Because if you don't pray, you're going to find some other ways to to alleviate 
the pressure of life. So you don't walk around feeling overwhelmed all the time. And these are unhelpful, unbiblical ways to blow off steam. One is anger. Anger. The pressure builds, 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 and before you know it, you just explode, right? And everybody is walking on eggshells around you because they know you have a temper and they know you could snap and, and, and no one wants to upset you. And, and a lot of people use anger as a, a tool to deal with the pressure of life. The only problem is anger destroys folks. And it destroys you. It eats you alive. And so anger is a very unhelpful, unbiblical way to deal with pressure, to deal with or to blow off steam. The Bible is very clear that we should not let the sun go down on our anger. As a matter of fact, it says when we don't deal with anger in our life, when we don't, when we don't deal with it before the sun sets, it says in Ephesians 4 that we are giving the devil an opportunity to wreak havoc in our lives. Matter of fact, that word there in, in Ephesians 4 says, you're giving the devil a place, a foothold in your life. It's, if, if you have anger issues in your life, it's as if you've opened up the door of your home and said, hey, devil, come on in. Because when you have anger in your life, you are inviting Satan to, to wreak havoc. You are. And so... Anger is a very unhelpful, miserable, (laughs) unbiblical way to deal with pressure. Let me give you another way. Immoral entertainment. Immoral entertainment. Some people are just overwhelmed by life and they're stressed and they're frenzied. And so when when they get home, they just want to just they just want to veg, you know, let off some steam. And because they're in veg mode and they've checked their brain at the door and they're not thinking about the Lord at all, they're willing to watch whatever comes on that screen as they flip through the channels. And what happens is we're so overwhelmed by life that before we know it, we're watching a bunch of stuff that dishonors God and makes God angry. And, and we're, just, we're just ingesting it uh, and, and just watching whatever, whatever the, the, the networks, whatever the channels put on for us to watch. And that's very unhelpful because instead of solving your problem of blowing off steam, you're compounding your problems. You're making things worse. You're letting in immorality and, and impurity infiltrate your, your heart and your mind. And, and that's going to, going, to, going to just cause more problems. And so immoral entertainment is not a way to deal with blowing off steam. But yet we all find ourselves, if we're not careful, we're tired, we're exhausted, I just want to veg, I don't want to do anything, I don't want to think. We're, we're all capable of just watching whatever comes on that screen when we're flipping through the channel. So immoral entertainment is an unhelpful, unbiblical way to blow off steam. Third is unbalanced recreation. Unbalanced recreation. This means your, the way you deal with pressure is you like to do your thing, your hobby, your, 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 whatever it is you do, you want to do that. And so because that helps you to feel better, you'll go do that and ignore everything else, every obligation, everything else going on in your life. So you got to be careful that your recreation, and we all need recreation. Don't be, I want to be clear on that. We all need those things that kind of fill up our tanks and, and, and help us to have some, some positivity. and things. But if your recreation is taking away from the quality of your relationships, then, then something's gone wrong. Your priorities have shifted and are all out of sorts. And so 
recreation is good, but if it gets unbalanced, if it becomes all about, hey, my time, this is what I do, I'm going to do what I want to do, and, 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 and that's the way we live, then we can experience great consequences from that. And so unbalanced recreation, and you fill in the blank, whatever your thing, I mean, we could talk about, you know, we could talk about hunting and fishing and golf and shopping and I mean we could we could go through a list of of all sorts of things that are are good things they're not negative things but if they're unbalanced they become destructive to your family and to your relationships and you're not really dealing with the 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 stress issue you think you are but you're not you're adding to your stress and then another unhelpful unbiblical way to blow off steam is substance abuse substance abuse People think, well, I'm just got, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to just numb, uh, numb how I feel. I don't want to, I don't want to feel the way I'm feeling. I don't want to feel the stress, the pressure I'm feeling. So I'm going to, going to drink something or take something that just kind of numbs me to it. And, and before we know it, we can be abusing things and doing all sorts of harm to our our physical lives, our emotional lives, our spiritual lives. But a lot of people try to cope with the overwhelmed. Uh, feelings of life by abusing a substance. This, hey, this could go uh, to, uh, you, you could speak of food here. Some people, some people eat too much food. They, they become gluttonous and don't ever say no to their appetites because if they're, if they're eating, then they feel better for a moment, but it's just compounding their problems. There's all, there's all sorts of things that we are capable of abusing, right? All sorts of things. And so we've got to say, okay, that may, give me a moment of escapism, may make me feel better for a moment, but I know that if I'm abusing something to deal with the stress of life, I'm really compounding the stress of life. I'm really making the problem worse. And so substance abuse is, a, is an unbiblical, unhelpful way to deal with Stress. That's why the Bible says, you don't, you don't, don't get drunk with and wine. It, it speaks in Proverbs of the, of the drunk man and all the problems he gets himself into uh, because he's, he's allowing a substance to control his thought life and his actions and, and his speech, and it's very, very detrimental. And so those are some unhelpful, unbiblical ways to blow off steam. So you say, wait, how do we deal? What's our, what's our release valve? How do we deal with stress? How do we deal with strain? How do we deal with being overwhelmed? The answer is simply prayer. It's, it's, listen, it really is just that simple. Let me show you in God's Word where it says this. Turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4. You may already be there. Philippians chapter 4. One of the, this is one of the most helpful verses in the Bible. It really is. Philippians 4, verse 6, listen to this command. Do not be anxious about anything. Stop, look at me for a moment. That's a command. Do not be anxious about anything. So you say, okay, what do I do when I feel anxiety creeping into my life? Stress, strain, what, what do I do? Well, he tells us there. Do not, do, not, do not be anxious about anything, but, look what he says, in everything by, what's the word there? Prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
That's beautiful, isn't it? So here's what you do. When you feel stress or strain, you turn it into a prayer. God, I'm worried about this. I don't want to be worried about it. And the Bible says, if you'll do that, God will lift the anxiety, he'll lift the stress, and he'll replace it with what? Peace. Peace that guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A peace that surpasses comprehension, a peace that surpasses understanding. And it really is that simple. And so the next time you feel stressed, just pray about it. Say, God, I feel this way. I don't want to feel this way. Would you give me peace? And he'll lift the the anxiety. He'll replace it with peace. Say, what happens uh, when later on the day I feel stressed again? Pray about it again. He'll lift the anxiety. He'll give you peace. What if I feel anxious 25 times a day? Then pray 25 times. God, deal with this anxiety. Lift it from me. He'll replace it with peace. That's how it works. It really is just that simple. It's like the old hymn says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's just that simple. So when you feel anxious, don't, don't live in that. Pray about it. Turn it into a prayer request and watch God give you peace. It's amazing. I do it all the time. The other day, it was something that was nagging at me, nagging at me, nagging at me, nagging at me. And I finally said, God, I'm, I don't want to be nagged. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to be anxious about this, God. I'm, I'm giving it to you. God, I'm just praying about it. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And immediately, peace. And can I just say this? I don't even remember what it was now. That's why I'm saying it was something. But I remember something was nagging. I don't even remember what it was now. God replaced my anxiety with peace. And I just left it behind and just kept on with life. And so, when you feel anxious, turn it into a prayer request. Over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says that we are to, to cast our cares upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares for us. How do, you, how do you cast your cares upon the Lord? How do you do that practically? Answer, prayer. God, here's my burden. Here's my concern. Here's the weight I'm trying to carry around. And Lord, I am giving it to you. I don't want to live with this anymore. I'm, I'm casting it upon you because I know that you care for me. It's just that simple. It really is. Just that simple. And so one of the reasons that prayer is such a blessing is because it allows us to blow off steam and enjoy peace. Try it. I mean, just try it tomorrow or tonight. Anxiety, lift it up to the Lord, make it into a prayer request. And watch God give you peace. It's amazing. It really does work. It really does work. Now, here's the second thing, the second blessing about prayer. Prayer gives us guidance in the midst of complexity. So life is complex, right? Turn to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. Verse 3. Psalm 31, verse 3. It's a great verse. Psalm of David. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. So David here speaks of, of God's activity in his life, whereby he guides his steps. He leads him through life. And then turn over to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. 
Look in verse 24. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. So the psalmist here is saying that part of, of walking with you through this life is you guide me with your counsel. So let's think about it for a moment. If you come to a situation and you have to make a decision, all right, what should you do? You ready? This is profound. It's deep. Ask God. Right? Ask God. Over in Second uh, Samuel, there are these great verses about David leading his men, and they're raided by a, 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 an invader. And David says, God, should I go after him? And God says, go after him. And, and so he gets and goes after him and recaptures all, all of his possessions and all of his family. And he just, he just inquires of God, God, what should I do? Should I go? And God says, go. Over in Joshua, the Israelites get into all sorts of trouble because the Gibeonites know that God is helping the Israelites to wipe out all the nations living in the promised land. So the Gibeonites say, we don't want to be wiped out, so let's fool them. So they come to, to the Israelites and say, hey, we're from a far country and, and we want to make a covenant with you so that you will never hurt us. And so they enter into this covenant with them, which has all sorts of implications for, for, for decades. But it says in that passage that Joshua did not inquire of the Lord. Didn't ask God. And so we need to ask God. And, and God will perhaps apply a biblical principle to a situation that helps guide us or he'll, he'll give us a, a, an impression upon our heart or he'll give us some good counsel from someone else. But God will, will lead us and guide us in those moments if we will but ask. Now, how many of you understand that men hate asking for directions? Raise your hand. They hate it. They, men don't like asking for directions, right? Well, listen. Christians should ask for directions. It's one of the blessings of prayer. God, what should I do? It gives us guidance in the midst of complexity. Also, the blessing of prayer, prayer grants us wisdom to make good decisions. Over in James 1 5, the Bible says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it to him. And so, if you come into a difficult situation, and you will, life is difficult, then Ask God for his wisdom, and God will give you wisdom. He's promised to do that, to make a good and a wise decision. And then prayer helps us to stay close to God. Helps us to stay close to God. Over in James 4.8 it says, If we draw near to God, guess what happens? God draws near to us. So do you want God to draw near to you? That's, I'm, that's not rhetorical. Do you want God to draw near to you? Who wouldn't say, yes, I want God in his grace and his power and his glory. I want God to draw near to me. You know how you experience that? You draw near to him through prayer. If you'll draw near to him, spend time with him, talk to him, then he will draw near to you. And so prayer is a blessing because it helps us to stay close to God. Listen to this quote from Steve Farrar. He writes, Without prayer, we become estranged from God, distant from God, relationally distant. And then it becomes easy for Satan to pick us off. <laughs> Sobering. And then here's the final thing as we talk about the blessing of prayer. Prayer is the means God uses to give us unimaginable blessings if we but ask. Prayer is the means 
God uses to give us unimaginable blessings. I'm reading a book right now uh, by Tim Keller on prayer, and he really drives home this point that God has all of these blessings, breathtaking blessings, waiting for us if we'll just ask him for them. And he's ordained that if you ask, he'll give it to you because you asked. And so I've been thinking, what, what are the things God has for me that I, that I haven't experienced because I haven't asked. I haven't prayed about it. Prayer is the means that God gives us unimaginable blessings if we but ask. Turn over to Matthew 7. I want to show you this. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 7. Matthew 7 verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who what? Ask him. And I love the logic of this, of this passage. Jesus here saying, hey, Wade, you think you're a pretty good dad, don't you? And I think, well, I think I am. And, and you know, hey, if your son came and asked you for bread, would you give him a stone? And my answer would be, of course not. I'm a good dad. And if your son came and asked for catfish, my son Caleb loves catfish. Wherever we go, he wants catfish. We were in Florida, he wanted catfish. I said, we're in this seafood. But anyway, and... If he comes and asks for catfish, am I going to give him a snake? The answer is no, I'm a good dad. That's my answer, right? And then Jesus just just drives home the point, doesn't he? Hey, you think you're a good dad? You're evil. You're not perfect. But your father who's in heaven is perfect. And if you're going to respond to your children asking, think how much greater God in his perfection is going to respond with good things to those who ask him. And so, Jesus here tells us that there are things God has for us if we ask. Over in James 4, it says that we have not because we ask not. Let me ask you a question. What are you asking God for? What are you asking God for? What, what is, what's something you're consistently asking God? And I'm, I'm not talking about health and wealth and prosperity and all these crazy TV preachers. I'm, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about Kingdom blessings that will help you to make a difference in this world, that, that, that things that are eternal, things that matter. What are some things you're asking God to do in your family, in your kids, in your, in your marriage, in your church, for your pastor? What, what, are you, what are you praying for? What are you asking God to do? I believe there are treasure troves of great blessings that matter that we are not living in, we are not experiencing simply because we don't ask. Isn't that amazing? So, so I just, I, I, you know, I've, I've been studying this lately. I've just been asking God for stuff. Just, I mean, I just, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask God to do it. Just big stuff. Just, God, just, I'm asking you to just do it. Because it says we have not because we ask not. And, and God, it's up to him to, in his wisdom, to answer the way he wants to answer. I trust him in that. But I'm going to ask, Right? Let's start asking God 
to, to move in our life, to bless us, to, to do great and mighty things through us and in our family and in our church and our community. We have not because we ask not. I love this quote from Adrian Rogers. I heard it just the other day. Adrian Rogers says that prayer can do anything that God can do and God can do anything. Don't you like that? Prayer can do anything God can do and God can do anything. So what are we asking omnipotent God to do? Are we asking him to move in mighty ways? Are we asking him to move in our lives? Are we, are we asking God to do what only God can do? And so prayer is a blessing because it is the avenue that God has ordained to give us blessings if we will but ask. Now next week, listen to me, next week, if I walk up to you on Wednesday and I say, hey, what have you been asking God for this week? You should have an answer. All right? What, what are you asking God to do? What are you asking God for uh, in your life? Here's the second thing. We talked about the blessings of prayer. I want to just say a word about the practice of prayer. We're going to get real practical for a moment. How do you actually, okay, wait, how do you actually pray? I mean, how do you do this? How do you build this into the fabric of your life? Well, I've, I've given you several things here that hopefully will, will help you. They, they've really helped me. First of all, I want to I call you to practice, first of all, consecrated prayer. Consecrated prayer. And by that, I mean the type of prayer that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 6 when he says, don't be like the Pharisees. They pray on the street corner to be heard for their many words. And people walk up and say, wow, man, that guy's godly. Listen to him pray. Listen to his language. Listen to him pray. As a matter of fact, Growing up, I was a little intimidated to pray because there were certain men in my church that would pray, the offertory and different things, and they prayed in King James English. They would say things like beseech and, and these big words. And I thought, I really thought, a little, a little guy growing up, I can never pray like that. I can never pray like that. And so I was intimidated to pray. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 that, that prayer at its essence is not public prayer for other people to see, in that there is a time for corporate prayer. We'll talk about that in a moment. But prayer at its essence is when you go into the inner room and you shut the door behind you and you get alone with God and you talk to Him in secret. And, and Jesus said, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Listen to me. There is a reward waiting for you if you will get alone with God. Did you hear what I just said? There's a reward waiting. The, Jesus promised it. A reward waiting for you if you will simply get alone with God. The inner room. Leave your iPhone in the other room. Close the door behind you. Make sure it's private. And spend time with your Creator and your Redeemer. And if you will do that, there is reward in that. And so practice consecrated prayer. This is where you get alone with God and you pray. You might call it on your knees time. Or maybe... Maybe for you, it's a, it's a prayer walk through your neighborhood where you're alone, it's just you and God. But whatever it is, whatever it is, maybe it's your commute into work. It's your time, just you and God. Whatever it is, make sure you're having consecrated time, just you and God, and God will reward you. Secondly, practice conversational prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray continually or pray without ceasing. That means that you are to maintain an attitude of prayer throughout the day. Now, it, it does not mean that you are constantly mouthing words of prayer. 
That's not practical, is it? I mean, we have responsibilities, things we're called to do. And we can't, we can't mouth prayers all day long. But it means that you, that you maintain dependence upon God. You know throughout the day how I need you. And, and, and constantly throughout the day, you're talking to God. Okay? Between meetings. Hey, I need your help here, Lord. You have a, a, a big decision to make, and you just breathe a prayer. God, give me wisdom. But you're, you're constantly in communication with God. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said, I never pray for more than five minutes at a time, but I never go for more than five minutes without praying. Think about that. In other words, Spurgeon said, my life is prayer. It's like breathing. All day long, I'm talking to God. I'm, I'm, I'm in dependence upon Him. Even when I'm talking to someone else, I'm thinking about God and my need for Him. That's conversational prayer. So you need that consecrated prayer, that alone time with God, but you also need to maintain this attitude of prayer throughout your entire day. And then third, practice corporate prayer. That means you pray with other believers. And there's power in that. Acts chapter 4 is the story I've preached on not too long ago about the church praying in response to the threats of the Jewish religious leaders. And God shook the place and they were filled with the Spirit and they went out preaching the gospel and folks got saved. It was amazing the power that came from, from corporate prayer. Christians getting together and praying with each other. There's power in that. So, so make sure that you're building corporate prayer into the ebb and flow of your life. This might mean that you find a prayer partner, someone that you talk to throughout the week, and you all pray together over the phone or over a cup of coffee, or, or you get two or three folks together before church service and, and pray, or, or you meet some other time and, and you're praying with other believers. You're asking God to move with other believers. There, there's power in corporate prayer. And so practice consecrated prayer, conversational prayer, Corporate. This keeps you balanced. All three need to be realities in your life. And this will keep you balanced. But there's some things you need to remember that are going to help you to pray. All right, let me give you these things and we'll be through. And I'll take questions, by the way, if you have questions tonight. But there's some things, definite things you need to remember as you seek to pray. First of all, the best way to learn to pray is to pray. You came all the way to church not to hear that in one little simple insight, right? You said, I could have come up with that. I remember in a seminary having a uh, professor say one time, it was in a preaching class, and there are principles uh, for preaching and, and things you need to learn that are very, very important. Um, but the comment was made basically that the best way to learn how to preach is just to preach. You just got to just you just got to do it, right? You just got to get up there and do it. And and it's the same with prayer. The best way to learn how to pray is to pray, just to do it. I got convicted uh, a year or two ago. Uh, there was a, a book that was coming out about prayer, and and I've I've read all sorts of books on prayer. I can't tell you how many books I've read on prayer. I got. Got them in my library, and I, and I just love reading prayer books. And I, there's this new book coming out. I couldn't wait to get it. I was like, oh, I can't wait to get the book on prayer. And it was as if God said, Wade, you know all you need to know to be a prayer warrior. You know all you need to know. And you might get some insight, some encouragement from a book. And so I still read books on prayer. I think they're good and important and, and inspiring to me and encouraging to me. But, but really, the Lord is, like, I knew everything I need to know to pray. And guess what? You know everything you need to know to pray. You just got to do it. 
You just got to do it. You just got to you just got to just get alone with God and start talking to Him, and 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 get with other believers and talk to God together. And throughout your day, talk to God about what's going on in your life. And so, the best way to learn how to pray is not to read a book on prayer. It can be helpful, all right. But the best way to learn how to pray is just to pray. And the more you pray, the more you'll learn how to pray. And the more you pray, the more you'll want to pray. It'll go like we talked about reading the Bible last week. It'll go from duty to delight if you'll just keep on praying. Just fight through it. Here's the second thing about prayer. Remember to connect your prayer time to your Bible reading. Remember to connect your prayer time to your Bible reading. My favorite candy bar, my favorite candy is... Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Can I get a witness? And this time of year, you know what they come out with? Reese's Peanut Butter, Chocolate Peanut Butter Eggs. Is there anything better? I mean, I I really don't know that there is. And I've been trying to watch it. I was doing pretty good. And Claire brought home a pack of the little mini. And I I just, I I have no willpower. Pray for me. They're just delicious. I I mean, Chocolate and peanut butter were made to go together. They just were. They, it just works, right? It just works. Anyone here doesn't like chocolate and peanut butter together? Raise your hand if you're... It's Billy. Oh, you love it. Okay, all right, all right, okay. All right. But, but they're just made to go together, right? Chocolate and peanut butter. Love it. Guess what? Prayer and Bible reading, they're just made to go together. You really can't have one, one without the other. You can't. Prayer without... Prayer without Bible reading is, is, is empty, and, and Bible reading without prayer is, is, is powerless. You need, you need both. You need both wed together to have a vibrant Christian life. They go together. And so let your Bible reading, which we talked about last week, let it inform your prayer life. Now here's why you need to connect your prayer time to your Bible reading. First of all, Bible reading warms your heart preparing you to pray. How many of you ever started praying and two minutes in, your mind's wandering, you can't think of anything else to say, and you're like, I'm out of, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Two minutes and I can't pray anymore. Anybody, anyone ever been there? I've been there. Raise your hand you been there. Let's be honest. We've all been there, right? We really, in prayer's a real struggle. Why do we run out of things to say? Why, why do we struggle keeping our mind focused upon God? Why does it feel so, so, formulaic and so dry. Why do we struggle with that? I believe it's because we start praying before our heart is centered upon the Lord. And and there's a quote here. It's a a longer quote, but it comes from George Mueller. He was a great Christian leader of the 19th century. He's well known for starting uh, orphanages in Bristol, England. Amazing stories of faith and trust in God and God answering prayers. Here's what he said about his, his time with the Lord, his quiet time as we call it. He writes, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord or how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. I saw the most important thing I had to do, listen, was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God. Not prayer, but the Word of God. So why does George Mueller say the Word of God, reading that first, is important? Look what he says. And here again he says, 
not the simple reading of the Word of God so that it only passes through my mind just as water runs through a pipe, but considering what I read, pondering over it. We talked about meditation last week. Applying it to my heart. To meditate on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed. And that thus, by means of the Word of God, whilst meditating on it, my heart be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. I begin, therefore, listen, to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning, early in the morning. The first thing I did, after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing upon His precious Word, was to begin to meditate on the Word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get blessing out of it. The result I found to be almost invariably this, that after a few minutes my soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication, so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation, yet it turned almost immediately more or less to prayer. So Mueller's saying, Here's what I do. I get alone with God. I find my sanctuary and I get alone with God and I just breathe a prayer. God bless the reading of your word. And I begin to read the Bible and really study it and think about it and think about how it applies to me. And as I do that, as I get into the word, the word gets into me and my heart begins to wake up. And I begin to be, I begin to be centered on the things of God and, and my heart begins to get warmer and warmer as, I, as I'm thinking about God and His Word and His will and His way. And before I know it, I just begin to pray in response to what I'm reading. So I believe if we just go into our prayer closet and start praying, we're going to really struggle. But if we will go into our prayer closet or our sanctuary and we'll read the Bible first and really think through what we're reading and meditate upon it, and begin to talk to God about it, then we'll find ourselves praying more easily. We'll have some things to pray about because the Bible is informing our prayer lives. And so try it. Get along with God and read the Bible first and think about the Bible, and you'll find that it leads very naturally to prayer. If you go home tonight and you're going to um, cook something in the oven, you probably are going to preheat, Right? If you just open it up and stick something in there, it's going to be a few minutes before it's doing any good. Well, listen, Bible reading before prayer is like preheating the oven. You're getting your heart warm. You're getting your heart focused upon the Lord. You're getting a a passion and excitement for the things of God, which helps you so much when you actually begin to pray. So, Bible reading warms your heart, preparing you to pray. But also, Bible reading gives you a vocabulary for prayer. Bible reading gives you a vocabulary for prayer. Again, often we find ourselves running out of things to say. I've prayed for two minutes. I don't know what else to say. Well, the Bible gives us all of these wonderful verses, all these wonderful chapters and books that that help us to understand the things of God so we can converse more easily with God. So you're saying, wait, I know in my prayer life I'm supposed to praise God. I'm supposed to spend some time just praising Him. I, I just... What should I say? I run out of things to say. Well, go to Psalm 23. And you start reading it. And read verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God, I thank you that you're my shepherd. I thank you that when I know you in a personal way, I will want for nothing. You'll provide for all of my needs. I'm so grateful for that. Or, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. God, thank you for restoring my soul because there are times I stumble and fall. 
And I need you to pick me back up and, and help me along the way. God, I'm so thankful that, that you're a God of a second chance and a third chance. And a, so, so God, thank you for being a soul restorer. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. God, I thank you that no matter what this day brings, you're going to be with me today. Your presence will be with me. I praise you for that. See what's happening here? You're taking the word of God and you're using its vocabulary to talk to God. Pretty cool, huh? I promise you, if you're having trouble praising God, just read Psalm 23 or Psalm 111 or I can name any of them. Isaiah 40, just, just read these great chapters and Romans chapter 8. Just read these great chapters and talk to God about what you're reading. And before you know it, you'll, you'll pray for 30 minutes or an hour. Because now you have some words, some vocabulary with which you can talk to God. And so prayer, or I'm sorry, Bible reading gives you a, a prayer vocabulary so that you can have good conversations with God. For example, uh, we need to pray for missionaries, right? We pray for missionaries. The Bible's clear on that. Um, and some people say, well, how do I pray for missionary? God bless the missionaries? That's kind of general. That's kind of broad. Well, I was just reading in my quiet time recently, Romans 15. And, and Paul is talking about his desire to go where Christ has not yet been named. And he's talking about coming to the church in Rome to be helped along by them. And you can just walk through Romans 15 and just think of ways that, to pray for missionaries. Uh, I know that, that, that this, this family is, is moving from this location to this location. God, I pray that you would help them in their move and, and open up doors for them to share the gospel. And, and you, just, you just take the words of the Bible and turn them into prayer requests. It re- I'm telling you, it really, really works. It really does. And so use the Bible's language to help you to pray. And I think it will be a great, a great blessing um, to you. Let's just say that you're, um, you're, having, you're having issues with your, your teenage son's speech. You don't like what's coming out of his mouth. So you correct him, of course, and, 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 and you discipline. But, but then one day in your prayer time, you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse um, 29, where it says, I'm sorry, verse... Um, where I'm in, I'm, yeah, verse 29, I'm in verse uh, five, chapter 5. Ephesians four twenty nine. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good as for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. God, would you help my son to understand that his speech is corrupting, it's destroying. God, would you work in his life so that when he speaks, he's building others up, not tearing them down. And so instead of just praying for something abstract, you're asking God to do some very specific things in your child's life. Does that make sense? And we can apply that to anything, any area. If someone you know is dealing with anger. You know, pray the, the Ephesians, um, um, where is it? I'm sorry, chapter 4. Uh, Ephesians 4, um, 26. Be angry and do not sin. God help them to deal with their anger and not to sin in their anger. And so uh, use the Bible to help you pray better. All right? So, remember, the best way to learn how to pray is to pray. Remember to connect your prayer time to your Bible reading. Here's the, here's the summary of it all, and then we'll be through. I'll take questions. In the midst of busy lives full of trials that can overwhelm us, God gives us the gift of prayer so that we can spiritually thrive. 
God doesn't want you to walk around stressed and anxious and miserable and defeated all the time. God wants you to thrive. He wants you to make a difference in this world. He wants you to live in such a way that you are glorifying His great name with your life. And so if you're going to thrive in a complex, busy, fast-paced, difficult world, you've got to learn to pray. Because God will give you what you need to deal with life.